Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Immigration, refugees, the changing face of Manitoba and helping those individuals settle into our province is a challenge. It's been ongoing. And an organization that I did not realize, Brett, that had been around for 65 years is the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council. Rita Chahal is the executive director. She's joining us this afternoon to let us in on some of the things that go on behind the scenes at the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council, M-I-I-C, M-I-I-C dot C-A. If you'd like more information other than the next uh, 10 minutes or so we're going to spend with uh, Rita. Good afternoon, Rita. Good afternoon. My pleasure being here. Thank we, you for the invitation. Well, we appreciate you coming on the air because this is an organization. You've been a little bit in the spotlight, but it isn't necessarily one that all Manitobans are familiar with. So uh, tell us a little bit about MIIC. Well, Manitoba Interfaith uh, Immigration has actually been around for closer to 70 years, and there's a long history uh, of the agency, you know, uh, post-World War, World War, and, uh, you know, uh, always helping. It started out actually in a church basement and has grown over the years. We've had a number of uh, locations where we've, uh, you know, been housed. But um, we moved into the building here at 521 in November of 2011, and I've been with the agency since, um, um, I think, June of 2013. So uh, although I'm certainly very familiar with the immigration uh, file in, in my previous uh, positions, but uh, being at Welcome Place has been um, a very humbling and a place of privilege because what we do is we welcome people from all around the world. We welcome refugees um, that are needing uh, support and assistance uh, when they come to Canada. Uh, you wanted to know what, what we do uh, Essentially, Welcome Place, um, which is our affectionate name, it's the building because that's what we do. We welcome people. But it's really designed to welcome um, uh, and receive um, government-assisted refugees. So we have 30 units um, at uh, at Welcome Place when government-assisted refugees come um, and they are, they are being approved by the Canadian government and have been invited to, to come to Canada. Um, they are destined for, for Winnipeg, and we pick them up at the airport. We always get information ahead of time, who is coming, what the composition of the, the family is, um, what languages they speak, uh, some basic information, and, and so we can prepare ourselves. The agency um, has... Ha- provides service in first language and about approximately on average about 30 to 35 languages at any given time. And that's because our staff, uh, who were former refugees themselves, can often speak two or three languages, sometimes more themselves. So that's a very integral part of our service delivery. So when you first arrive in a country and you don't know how to speak the the English language, you're welcomed in your first language. Um, once they arrive, we bring them to our welcome place, uh, and um, they are then, you know, given an orientation and very bare bones, basic apartment, which really is is a far cry from being in a in a refugee tent and a refugee camp. And the main thing is that because it is uh, a safe uh, place for them, it uh, has the basic needs that we can provide, a, a, you know, a bed, um, uh, some basic kitchen, you know, utensils, a, a stove to cook on, some very basic things. But, you know, the main thing that people um, feel and express is that I feel safe. And that in, is, is huge. That's a huge impact when, when you're coming from a war-torn uh, area or when you don't know what you're 
you know, you've left everything behind. Um, then we go into a process of, uh, you know, orienting them and, and into terms of what what's necessary to go into be familiar with the Canadian um, and the Manitoba life. Um, there are a number of topics that they have to, um, you know, have orientation in. And again, it's a, it's a basically a process that they go through. Uh, everything from banking to navigating uh, the bus system to getting medical attention and eventually getting kids into school. But during those three, two to three weeks that they're with us in our temporary accommodation, we also help them find uh, permanent accommodation. Um, and then they transition into that. Um, then starts a longer-term um, uh, you know, a settlement plan for them. So assessing language needs, assessing their employability, helping them, um, you know, navigate the the the, the system uh, a bit better. Um, and eventually, people very quickly, actually, I have to say, try to you know get back on their feet so that they can um, get a job and start contributing to the Canadian and and uh, Manitoba economy. And that's that's a very quick version of what what we do there's certainly a lot more detail that i could share with you uh, it's uh, brett mcgarry here rita and i'm just curious the you say that uh, you have access to apartments that you can set uh, these refugees up yeah, with. yeah these are for the government assisted refugees right so that's our, our major focus is when uh, these are the government assisted um and the the story that's in the limelight right now are the the refugee claimants uh, which are coming, you know, through the Emerson border. We've always had that program, but it has never had uh, government funding until last week when, when the provincial government announced um, uh, some support for the refugee claimants. And under that program, for the last couple of years, uh, the provincial government has provided some temporary uh, off-site, um, uh, you know, rooming um, units, actually, but there were three we could keep up to 15 people in those units, but now we'll be able to uh, accommodate more. Um, so that's another one of our programs, but it's, it's quite separate from our regular programming, which is funded by the, by the federal government. Uh, and so did you want to know more about the refugee claimant program? Is that something that would be? Yeah, I think that's something that people yeah. that are paying attention to right now, yeah, Rita, well, and the idea that, that this is outside your normal course of operation, and so it's forced you to be uh, reactive to something that we've really never seen before, or have we seen this before, Rita? Well, you know, there have been, of course, there have always been refugee claimants and in Canada protection asylum seekers that have, you know, uh, over the years, but it's never been an, an influx like this, never, uh, not to, to my knowledge, and uh, certainly not in recent years. On an average, our program was able to handle about 50, 60 in-Canada protection uh, claims. Uh, um, but in the past year, we've seen that uh, increase quite, quite, um, you know, uh, exponentially. And that just from beginning of January till the end of last week, we've already processed 139. Or maybe it's more now because that was the last number I got last Thursday. Um, through our system. So that's grown quite a bit. Um, and so we've had to adapt our process. And what that means is the agreements that we have right now uh, to manage this, this influx is that we, uh, when Canadian Border Services has uh, vetted people and deemed them admissible to come uh, into Manitoba and, and make a refugee claim, they then release them and they call us 
we go down to the border uh, to Emerson. We pick up the the people. And we we organize this. We we don't just go down for one person at a time. They they tend to be when there's about five or six, maybe seven. Uh, sometimes it's been more people that are ready to be released. Then we send our staff um, and vehicles to go pick them up. Uh, for one weekend in an emergency, I did pe- have people here at Welcome Place, but it was an emergency, and we did it just over the one weekend. Uh, since then, we have now made agreement with uh, with the Salvation Army, who has who you know uh, came forward with the offer to help. And so we have been taking uh, clients that we pick up at the border directly to Salvation Army. Now, mo- most people are staying there, but not all. Some people choose then after we drop them off to go elsewhere. They may, f- may find community resources. They may know somebody. Some people pool their monies together and, and get a, get some uh, you know um, commercial space. But majority are staying at, at uh, Salvation Army. Um, and then once they've had a night's sleep and, and some rest, um, they come to Welcome Place, to our offices, where we begin the orientation um, and the, the the paperwork process that is necessary. Now, we cannot work with any client unless they show us the documentation that they receive at the border services, which gives us the green light that, yes, this person has been deemed admissible and has the right to apply. Uh, again, that's a very long process. Uh, they have, but they do have only 72 hours to complete those forms. Wow! Um, and once those forms are completed, then there is another step that goes in. They then have um, uh, another 15 days in which they have to call uh, complete what's called a basis of claim. Now that's a much more complex form that has to be uh, prepared and submitted to the to the Canadian Refugee Board. So, again, we help them with that. And what that is is really for them to tell their story. Um, we we don't make judgments. We don't dictate what they need to say. We simply hear their story and transfer it onto paper that has to be submitted. So it's their story. We sometimes provide interpretation if it's necessary. Um, and once that goes in, and then what happens is that uh, uh, they are... Uh, scheduled for an eligibility interview with Canadian Border Services, and they're given a date of hearing. They're also then sent for a medical examination. Um, And once they have a medical exam and they pass that medical exam, then only can they apply for work permits. So again, as you can see, it's uh, it's a very linear process. People automatically don't just get that, you know, get in and say, you're you're here. The waiting period for um, the refugee board hearing can be quite long. Um, we've seen recently, in recent years, that it, you know, it's, it's shortened to about three to six months, sometimes um, uh, sooner. Um, but it's not a guarantee. Once they filed all those papers, it's not a guarantee that they're going to get in. It could be denied. It could be accepted. And Whichever way it works, if it's denied, uh, then there's another process that they go into and they have to be removed, you know, deported or whatever the whatever the decision of the judge is. And if they're accepted, then they then can have they have the rights and, and responsibilities of of anyone that is eligible for permanent residency. Rita Chahal is executive director of the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council. You know, their work through Welcome Place, and we wanted to speak with Rita today to get a real inside look behind the scenes. Uh, take and and look at what happens at 
M-I-I-C and Welcome Place. And Rita, you've done an outstanding job of of going through those linear steps and, and the process involved. But can you put a human face on some of the folks that you've been yeah. meeting, you know, over the last well, we, little while? Yeah. Where do these people, where are they genuinely coming from and what state of emotion are they in when, when you meet them, in particular those that are coming across the border? Uh, we have to imagine in a desperate state of mind to, to get out of the United States. Well, I can first speak to the emotion. What I can say is that the, the emotion that we see on people's face is, and, and, their, and the expression in their voices and, um, is one of gratitude and, and so much relief. Uh, that the, the word that we hear quite often is, I am so thankful. Thank you, Canada. Thank you for, for, for um, helping me. Um, they, and, and they keep using the word safe. I feel safe now. The type of people that we're getting, uh, sort of a, a, a profile, we're getting them across the board. Lots of men, uh, a, a number of women, um, but also families now. Uh, I held in my arms a couple of weeks ago, and actually just last week, uh, a four-month-old baby, um, a six-month-old baby, uh, a two-year-old child, a seven-year-old child. These are these are the the profiles of the people. We had an eight-month uh, pregnant uh, woman uh, that came through um, uh, actually just last week. So the profile has been changing. Um, where they're coming from, the majority at the moment seem to become are, are coming from country of origin Somalia uh, and Djibouti. Those are the the two big uh, com- communities that we're seeing them. But many of them have um, been in the U.S. for for a number of years, have contributed to the U.S. um, economy, um, but for whatever reasons are feeling unsafe and are choosing to come to Canada to seek safe haven. Um, Others have, um, you know, um, been either detained or have been uh, scheduled to uh, for deportation in the U.S. Uh, again, a variety of, of uh, reasons why people are choosing to come, um, and we are not speculating on or commenting on on the policies of another country. But uh, those are the stories that we're hearing. Rita Chahal, we we do need to pause and look at our forecast. Can you stick mm-hmm. with us for a couple more minutes? Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Rita Chahal is the executive director of the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council and Welcome Place. It is 20 after 2. We have a couple more questions for Rita. We will get to those after your forecast on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. And we are joined by Rita Chahal, who is the executive director of the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council as well as Welcome Place and... The reason why we're talking to Rita today is due to the influx of people who are crossing the border from the United States into Manitoba at Emerson. And we've seen almost 150 uh, this year alone. And wanted to ask you, Rita, because a lot of people are saying this, uh, this kind of thing, and I was wondering what your take is on it. What do you say to people who say these border hoppers should be turned away immediately. Um, well, we can understand why people, you know, uh, have these concerns. I think it, it's important to to really understand the process and the educational that is required to, um, you know, in this this complex, the layers and layers of complexity in in this in this process. Um, I guess my position would be that you know um, there is Canada as a signatory to um, to the Refugee Convention. 
we have uh, under the the international law people do have the right to seek asylum um, and um, you know once they have entered into Canada they have the right to make that claim uh, again it's it's not an easy thing to understand I think people really do have to and I'm not a lawyer so I, I won't even attempt to explain the the, the legalities of all of this and and you know that but there is lots of information uh, available on the website um, our position would be that, that there is an uh, there is a right to claim asylum and uh, the refugee claimants are perhaps the most vulnerable people in the world. Um, and I think you also have to remember that there are 65 million displaced individuals uh, around the world who you know, are without home or state. And I think it is a much bigger conversation that has to happen. Uh, you know, yes, we look at the numbers, how many are crossing today, how many are crossing yesterday, how many are crossing next week. But there has to be some discussion about why is why are we in a state uh, of so many displaced people around the world, and what is our responsibility uh, as global citizens to ensure that that doesn't continue. So I think those are some of the things that have to be talked about, rather than simply labeling people as as um, uh, you know border jumpers or, or or you know some of the other labels uh, that we've heard from people describe them as. And I think that's why we wanted to get a sense of the people, the human side of what, what is going on along with what needs to take place and the and the clerical issues, essentially, that, that need to be uh, checked off, a list of things that need to be done in order for those people to remain in Canada in a legal fashion. Rita, you've always been so generous with your time and your, your demeanor is so soothing. I can only imagine that when people come into contact with you that you have a real way of making people... Well, how- kind of you to say that. That is so kind of you. Thank you. You know, uh, I'm, I'm able to do that because I have such a wonderful team of people that, that deliver the services. Yes, I'm the director here, and, and um, uh, while I, I get to make the, the, the funding decisions and I make some of the, the other, you know, how we, will, how we will proceed, and I do get to deal with the governments and I get to, you know, um, deal with some of the, the decision makers, but it's really the people that work uh, at Welcome Place who are the who are the real heroes, the people who who do the services and who deliver them, and who are the caring and compassionate people of our of our of our province, and our country is based on on values of compassion and caring and understanding and love, and and that's what we come from. We come from a place of service, and that's what we do best is we serve those who need our help. Rita Chahal, thank you so much. We have to leave it there. We are out of time, but we do thank you so much for your time. Rita Chahal is the Executive Director of the Manitoba Interfaith Immigration Council and Welcome Place. The website is miic.ca. My water just broke. Trust me, I'm a doctor. No, you're a cabbie. Push! Chopra delivered a baby today in the backseat of a cab. You know why there's such a shortage of doctors in this country? That's all you guys are too busy driving cans. <laughs> when was the last time you had your prostate check? What? Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. That is a clip from a 2014 Canadian movie called Dr. Cabby, which is about an Indian doctor who emigrates to Canada in the hope of starting a new life, but bureaucracy confines him to life as a taxi driver because they won't recognize his credentials. So when he can't suppress his desire to practice medicine, he begins illegally treating patients from his cab. And uh, by the way, he's not the lead star, but the man who plays Raj from Big Bang Theory. I don't watch that show. Is that the name of his character? Yeah, Raj. 
Kutrapali, I believe is how you say his last name Very, on the show. And uh, yes, his name is Kunal Nayar. So he uh, is a supporting uh, member of that cast, just in case you want to check it out. It actually looks really funny, so I should probably get around to seeing it. Well, and I think uh, the reason we're having this discussion, you played this clip, Brett, is the fact that uh, in this time when we're having discussions about increased immigration, whether it's through traditional fashions or with refugees coming to Canada seeking asylum, the question is always, how are these people going to integrate into society, not only socially, uh, religiously and otherwise, but economically? And I think many of us forget that so many of the individuals that come to Canada as immigrants are working uh, as doctors, as nurses, as engineers in far-off lands. When they come to Canada, they're not necessarily recognized with the, the documentation that they came with and may end up driving a cab. Or in the case of my new friend in Minnedosa, he is an engineer working at Subway. He's a sandwich artist versus practicing engineering. And there's a group, an organization called II or pardon me, there's only one I, IAF Canada. And what they do is they provide loans to immigrants in order to help them get the increased education that they may need in order to bridge the gap between what is found in their country in terms of of, of um, education and what you need here in Canada to be accredited. And Diane Fair joins us now. She's a vice president, stakeholder engagement at the Immigrant Access Fund. She joins us from Calgary. Good afternoon, Diane. Good afternoon. Very pleased to be talking to you. Well, I have to tell you, I found out about your organization quite by accident. It's no secret to a lot of our listeners that I that I have uh, several rental properties in Manitoba. And one of my renters is a new Canadian, and he's an outstanding guy. He's an engineer. He's asked me for some help on a couple of different things. And one of those things was to be a reference for him so that he can get one of these loans through IAF. Well, being the individual that I am, I couldn't just give him a reference and not find out a little bit more about IAF. And I think it's an absolutely spectacular idea in order for Canada to really give our immigrants uh, the best opportunity to do the best in life when they come to our country. Well, well thank you very much for, for that intro and absolutely pleased to have been able to help your engineer friend um, along his path to gain his Canadian license and training that he needs to work in his field. You're quite right. There are so many people who arrive in Canada with amazing qualifications. So they may have been a doctor before they came to Canada or an engineer or even a truck driver. And often when they come, they end up needing to go into a survival or a transition job, such as your friend working at Subway. They run into a situation where they're earning minimum wage or slightly above minimum wage. When they go ahead and they want to go down their path, start their path of writing their Canadian exams, taking Canadian training so they can work in their field in Canada, they're often faced with the financial barrier of doing that. It costs many thousands of dollars to take courses to write exams, as we all, all know very well. Uh, so Immigrant Access Fund is able to step in, give immigrants a character-based microloan that is not dependent on their income or lack of income, um, does not depend on having a stellar credit history in Canada. Many of the people we lend to don't yet have a credit history in Canada. So we're able to step in, give individuals a loan of up to $10,000, 
on flexible terms, low interest, to simply help immigrants overcome the significant barrier they face of being able to pay for their Canadian licensing and exams. Absolutely thrilled that that your friend learned about us and that thank you very much for being a reference because everybody is interviewed. It's a character program, a character-based loan program. So we do interview everybody and we really try to understand um, the the nature of the work they want to do in Canada. Um, Are they people, individuals we can trust? Um, you know, are they of good character and everything else? So thank you very much for doing for doing your part in providing a character reference for your friend. Well, it's just a, such an incredible concept, one that I'd not ever heard of before. And maybe give us a little bit of the background, Diane, as to how IAF was founded and the founding principles and, and really why and how you do what you do. The The idea of a character loan is something that is, is foreign to a lot of people, but it goes a long way in, in building micro-economies. Micro-loans are such a key in the, the developing world. This is really taking that model, in my mind, and, and bringing it to Canada to, to invest in people versus anything else. Yeah, thanks. You know, micro-lending is a tremendous um, stimulus for the economy in many, many communities. So Immigrant Access Fund started in 2005 with the very simple thought. Our founding board chair was working at a hospital here in Calgary, and the people coming in to clean her office each night were doctors and nurses and, and engineers. So way back then, that was the early 70s, and our founding board chair, Dr. Maria Erickson, got her in a mind that one day she would really like to help this population of people. She, could, she just thought it was such, such a crime that people with these skills and education were working in, in survival jobs, not working at their potential. So over the years, she kind of, kind of formulated some thinking in her mind. So Immigrant Access Fund was launched in 2005 in Calgary. We have since expanded the program across Canada, so I'm very pleased to let you know that we have to date uh, given loans to nine individuals in Manitoba, which is a really good start for us because it's only recently that we've been able to do loans across the Canada, uh, across Canada. So today, you know, we've approved more than 2,700 loans and $17 million to immigrants across the country. The loans are used for exam fees, for tuition, for course materials. Often people also use the loans for a living allowance while they're completing their exams or doing their studies because, of course, people still need to be able to pay rent, put put food on the table, and support their family. So some people also have to use the loans from Immigrant Access Fund for a living allowance so that they can work fewer fewer hours in their survival job if they are working and still continue with their, um, you know, with with having their life and paying the bills as they need to. Uh, you know, we're finding that for the people who complete their learning plan with us, so, so when people apply, they need to know what it is they want to do in order to work in their field. 75% of the people who, who complete their learning plan uh, report to us that they have find employment in jobs that are equivalent to the work they did before they came to Canada. So they end up with employment that they feel is making really good use of their education and the skills they came to Canada with. So we're able to help people move from poverty. So the average person when they apply for an Immigrant Access Fund loan is earning $16,000 a year. 
For people who complete their learning plan, we find on average they start earning in that first year $50,000. So we're really helping people overcome the barriers they face to be able to work in the field in Canada and moving them out of poverty and into being fully engaged members of our communities, contributing to Canada's economy and contributing to our communities, which is exactly uh, the plan they had when they first arrived in Canada. So we're absolutely thrilled to be able to to provide the service to immigrants across Canada. I really look forward to doing more work in Manitoba. Uh, you know, and I'll just mention that we do have a special program for people who have arrived in Canada as refugees. And I know that that Manitoba is certainly facing um, facing many uh, many issues coming across uh, you know these days with people coming across the border. So we are also able to re- to lend to people who arrive in Canada um, who receive refugee status, and we're very pleased that we're able to provide loans to them at no interest to the individual. And instead, what we do is we raise funds from the community to cover the interest on those loans that we make to refugees. Um, Immigrant Access Fund is a not-for-profit registered charity. Uh, We're supported by both the community, so people who make donations to us, as well as federal and provincial governments who see the need for our service in helping immigrants to settle in our country, to integrate to the labor market, and so we receive very good support from the uh, federal and provincial governments as well, um, but big support from the private sector in addition to that. Diane, it's uh, Brett McGarry here. And by the way, we're joined by Diane Fair, who is with the Immigrant Access Fund. She is the Vice President of Stakeholder Engagement. And just curious to know, uh, why are these the credentials of these immigrants, whether you, you referenced a doctor, engineer, truck driver, why are their credentials not recognized and they're being forced to take more education? Yeah. Well, in some cases, it's not more education, and it truly is writing exams. But the regulatory body, so when you're looking at a professional regulatory body, they really have a standard of care to the Canadian community. So they want to make sure that every doctor licensed to practice in in our provinces, every teacher licensed to teach a class, there's a certain, certain standard that every individual holding a license must achieve. What we find is when people come to Canada with those credentials, having already worked in their field for many years before they came to Canada, it's not so much a question of upgrading. It's a question of applying their skills and education to the Canadian context. So we want we want a, a doctor practicing medicine in Winnipeg to understand how medicine is practiced in, in Canada, in Winnipeg. Right? And certainly a human body is a human body, but there are different approaches. There's cultural approaches to practicing medicine, and there's a very high standard that, that the regulatory body, the physicians, want to make sure every doctor is achieving. And we find that in all of, in all of the occupations for which you might need a license or a special permit, um, that's very common, and it's just about maintaining the Canadian standard. Um, it's Typically not anybody needing to upgrade, it's simply needing to understand. If you're a civil engineer, and let's say you came from a, from a desert country, let's say you may have come from Iran, and if you come to Canada, you need to understand what it's like to be working in minus 30 weather. You need to know uh, what the building systems and building codes are in the community in which you'll be working. 
And so it's really important that the regulatory bodies do maintain that standard. Um, absolutely, there's a requirement that people go through those exams, those licensing. Uh, there's certainly some work that could be done by the regulatory bodies to make the, the process perhaps a bit quicker for immigrants. It can take many, many months, sometimes years, for people to to get what they need in order to, to write an exam or to take a course. It takes a fair bit of time. There's sometimes challenges around um, the path that they must follow not being as transparent as it could be. And, of course, the fees are a considerable problem. You know, some exams may cost $7,000 to write. Some courses may take $20,000 to take. Uh, so those are challenges that people are facing um, as they kind of move forward on their path to try to be be fully employed in their field in Canada. Well, it's sure heartwarming to know that there's an organization like yours that can give a hand up and an opportunity for these people to to integrate into our society and to become full-fledged Canadians with all the credentials that they bring with them because that's really what we want is for everybody to be the best that they can be at whatever they choose to do. Diane, thank you for this and thanks once again for doing what you do at the IAF. My, my very great pleasure and thank you very much for this opportunity. Diane Fair, she's Vice President, Stakeholder Engagement, Immigrant Access Fund. She joined us from Calgary. It is 2.48 on 680 CJOB. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.